You're listening to Drawn to a Deeper Story. I'm Kath Brew from drawntoastory.com. I'm an artist who illustrates and educates about marginalised experiences for positive change with a particular interest in identity and belonging. And this podcast is about the lives that challenge us and the difficult conversations around them. It's a place to listen openly, to absorb people's truths and to learn how to show up differently for the benefit of everyone. So today I'm talking to... Laurie Ball. Laurie is an international speaker and experienced special education leader with over 25 years of experience. She has a personal connection to individuals with disabilities because in 2003, Laurie's son Braden was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. This milestone, as you might imagine, changed her focus from teaching elementary students to advocating for all children and inclusive education. Now, Laurie really knows the stuff. In Shanghai, In China, Laurie was principal of a school for children with special needs and went on to co-found the first inclusive school in the city. Laurie also created the first higher support needs program at the International School in Bangkok and has helped many schools around the world set up their programs as well. So welcome, Laurie, and thank you so much for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Good. Let's do this. Okay. So me reading out a bio is very, very different to actually hearing someone talk about their life, especially when it's connected to someone's personal life and and it's personally meaningful. So can you tell me a little bit more about your family life, why you do what you do and kind of leading up to to Braden's diagnosis? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to do so. So my husband and I, we started our overseas teaching career back when we were in our early 20s, right after we got our degrees. And one of our first postings was in Saudi Arabia. And I had a student in Saudi who was performing below her grade level peers by about two years. And it took me by great surprise when the administration one day came in and told me that that student could no longer attend the school. And that, you know, traditionally in international schools for a very long time, there was no support for individuals that had any sort of learning difference or neurodiversity. So I was quite shocked, saddened, and it was always kind of a goal of mine to be able to better support my Mm. students. Both of our kids were born in Saudi Arabia and we went and taught in Indonesia after that. And our son was not developing like his sister and we were concerned, but we had so much outside advice. People saying, Mm. oh, he's a boy. Um, boys talk later than girls. He's a second child and second, you know, the mm-hmm. first child always does all the speaking for them. Oh, he lived in Saudi. He lives in Indonesia. Now he's hearing so many different languages that mm-hmm. it'll just take him time. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of listening to them, but we also knew mm-hmm. deep down yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something was not quite right. And at first I felt like my son was punishing me for working Uh, Because I would come home and I would call his name and he wouldn't turn and Mm. look at me. And that's completely understandable thing to think. As a mother, all these things you're trying your best to do, but there's always the the kind of mother's guilt and all the stuff that goes on. So much guilt, right? And he was doing things like he would flip over his trucks Mm. and play with the wheels. And he would lay down next to the wheels and just watch them turn. Mm. Mm. And so I was really concerned about that. So eventually my husband and I decided that I would take time off from working, from teaching Mm -hmm. and 
just work with him. So we set up a home program and I was working with him, not seeing any results, not getting much from him, but trying. Mm. And then a crazy thing happened in Indonesia, the Bali bombing. Mm. And that really affected the country. And, you know, one of our friends was killed from the international school. It was just quite traumatic for everyone. But what it also meant was terrorism was starting in Indonesia. Threats were um, coming toward the school. They threatened to bomb our little preschool program where our daughter was attending. And so it was a big decision, but the kids and I went home to the U.S., for a time being, just until it was safe to return. Mm. And during that time was when my sister-in-law said, hey, Lori, something is really going on with Brayden. You've got to seek help. And so she hooked me up with something in the States called Child Find. And it's an organization through the government that comes to your house they help support you and they try to figure out what's going on with your child. Fantastic. So, I mean, this is a long story, but I think it's important to share because of the long process. So Brayden was, had just turned three at this point and he was not diagnosed. At that point, they were like, mm, well, he has so many good skills, you know? And so he's, he's probably fine. You just need to get speech therapy mm. kind of thing. Mm. During that time, we decided that we needed to stop teaching overseas because we needed to get him support. Yeah, And so we moved to Colorado, a different state for us. And we got Braden into a preschool program and things like that. So eventually mm. we got in to see a developmental psychologist who diagnosed Braden with autism. Mm -hmm. And this is the way she did it. She looked at the school psychologist who came with us during the evaluation. Braden was looking out the window saying, look, it's snowing. Look, it's snowing over and over mm -hmm. again. And she looked at the school psychologist and she said, and why haven't you people diagnosed him with autism? Isn't it obvious? Nice. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, so that was how did joy. people? Oh. I don't, people astound me at their ignorance and their stupidity and their lack of understanding of the impact of things on people. Yeah, words can really hurt. And in a way we were, you know, devastated, but autism, you know, to have a child on the autism spectrum is not inherently devastating. Mm. Um, there's so many wonderful things. Braden also has intellectual developmental delay, mm -hmm. which we didn't know at the time. Yeah. So we were filled with a lot of hope and, um, and we felt relieved to get the diagnosis. So we had a way forward. Mm. Is that something that certain people have that, or is that something that's separate to his autism? You know, comorbidity or, you know, um, co-occurrence with different disabilities happens quite frequently in autism. Yeah. And there's so many different types of autism that, um, but we don't have a genetic reason or any mm. of that. We don't know where his comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And regardless of that fact, this is now your reality and this is what you're, you're living with and having to process and, and work out what this means. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. For us, it was never important where Braden's autism and disability came from. It yeah. was how do we move forward and yeah. help support him? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And so how how did you do that? Because I know people who've shied away from diagnosis because people worry about people labeling people, but then actually diagnosis can be really helpful because it gives you access to, well, depending on where you live in the world, of course, but gives you access to resources yeah. and and an understanding and you can start to almost map out what that means for you. Like intellectually, you can process that. Yeah, that's absolutely my philosophy mm. is I'm a fan of diagnosis because we can move forward. We know where to go yeah. and plan and you can develop a team around you rather than feeling isolated and alone as a parent yeah, yeah. by not being willing to get a diagnosis or, mm. you know, it it's, can be quite isolating. Yeah. So support for him looked like getting him into a really intensive program mm -hmm. um, through the public school system, which they had. And the people that worked with him were phenomenal, trained special education teacher, uh, speech language pathologist, occupational therapist, school psychologist, as well as general education teachers. So yeah. they were all working in the same classroom. Fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah, it was really well done. But also the complete flip side of that is you talked about that you weren't teaching overseas anymore and you, you go home and that's where you get the support. And it just makes me think about all the kids in other countries, families who have these experiences and just have to deal with it and how hard that must be. And and also not to take away how hard it still is potentially for you yeah. or for everyone yeah. that you know that that's part of this. So it's quite crushing to um, have your identity and your lifestyle being overseas. That was our goal. We wanted mm. to do that the rest of our lives. Yeah. So we had a lot of grief mm. coming home and never quite felt at home in our own country. So we, we spent four years in Colorado really getting Braden that early intervention that he needed. Mm -hmm. We also looked at the balance of what our lives were looking like, my husband, myself, and our daughter who is older than Braden, and realized that we needed to get back into the overseas teaching. Mm -hmm. So it was a hard decision. But I happened to get a job as a program manager of this very small school in Shanghai, China, mm -hmm. for kids with special needs. So he could go to my school and I could oversee his program. Mm -hmm. And so that ended up working well. And my husband and my daughter ended up teaching in an international school. Mm. One thing I wanted to ask you was, I was going to ask you about your challenges as a family, but the family is only one thing. You're made up of four individuals and you still have your own aspirations and your own the career that you want to do and the, the dreams of each individual of, of, of life. And mm -hmm. so something that I've heard people talk about before is that it, it can be quite hard to actively manage family life so that each individual needs are met, but not at the expense of somebody else's needs. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk a bit about that in terms Absolutely. of having just then taken up this job and how that works? Well, before that, when we were in Colorado, we, we really wanted to ensure that our daughter was getting absolutely what she needed mm. as well as mm. Brayden. And so we made sure that we spent quality time with her every day mm. while the other partner was working with Brayden. Yeah. Um, and we had very special moments with her where we would take her, um, you know, out to ice cream or, mm. or, you know, just really focus on her. So it, she's now 25 and we've had lots of conversations with her about that time in our lives because it was really stressful 
for all of us. She says that she felt very cared for. Um, she's talked to a lot of siblings that have felt that isolation. Mm. And she said she really never felt that. So we yeah. feel good about that. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. One thing we did right. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. you did many, many things right. But yeah, but, but I get yeah. that feeling. It's a massive, massive effort goes into doing that. And you don't know till you come out the other end, do you? Until you actually, they're old enough to have no. those conversations and give you no, feedback. No, you don't. It's hard. And we really wanted her to have the international experience and Mm. international school experience that we had seen through the years. Yeah. So she benefited greatly through that. Yeah. Fantastic. You talking, what comes to mind is if you're not going to live abroad as a, as an individual or as a family that chooses to do this, like you're attached to a, a company, the potential of, if you have a child who has some level of, of disability or might be a trans kid, but you're living in a country where it's not accepted, like all these issues that come in. I often wonder about how parents potentially struggle with how honest they are with their organizations about what they're dealing with. Do people worry that it makes them less employable because they, they seem to possibly have more problems or more whatever? Like, does is that a real thing? I've often wondered about it. It's a, it's a real thing. Um, mm. um, I don't know if I've told you, but I've been writing a book with a, a no. friend and it's with a publisher now, but that is a whole chapter of our book is mm. what should parents do mm. when they're trying this. And, and the story starts with a woman who her daughter applied to eight different schools in Shanghai, China, and every one of them failed her in mm. some way. It is a it is a big worry. Mm. It is so stressful for families. Many families coming from the states or the UK or or a country where it's just automatic that their kids are placed in a school, they're in complete shock. They get these jobs overseas and they just assume their child will get mm. into the school and are heartbroken when they're told no. So yes. Some are not so truthful in their application process. You can understand why. I mean, Absolute. why wouldn't you be? <laughs> Absolutely. In all honesty. Yeah. But I always advocate for parents to tell the truth because if mm. their child gets into a school that does not have the support, yeah. then their child is set up to fail. And yeah, quite, not, yeah. quite quickly, the school will exit the child. And so then they're yeah. in a place where they have no support. And that's probably more damaging than, than the initial just know this isn't going to work. It's damaging to everyone. So I really recommend that parents do their research of countries before they accept a position. Uh, there are many, many schools out there now who do support children with any type of learning disability, neurodiversity. There are some schools now that are catering to individuals who have those higher support needs. So Mm. it's just important you can go to the, I think it's the Office of Overseas Schools. They have a listing of schools that have Mm. those supports in place. Um, So to do the research, I advocate for parents telling Mm. schools what is necessary Nothing's going to change if if people aren't honest. No. And I also advocate for schools to change. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so often you hear schools say, well, we don't accept those those children because uh, we don't have the support needs in place and it's not fair to them. Okay. 
well, put them in place then. (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. You know, and so long schools have rested on those excuses. It's it's an easy option, isn't it? Yeah, it's easy. Um, Other schools say, well, we really, you know, our schools cater to higher learners and we want them to get into the Ivy League schools and things like that. Well, guess what? You can have that and Mm. have absolutely and support all the learners in your school. So, you know, it's just getting past those preconceived. Yeah. Yeah. I was also thinking though with with culturally, because I remember my parents lived in Chile for for many years, long time ago. And there was a man we met there whose son uh, had Down syndrome and he talked, he was a Chilean man, but he talked a lot about culturally at that time that people, families who had children with, with disabilities just did not bring them out in public because it was not a thing that they did. It just was, it, there was this huge social thing against it. And they as a family refused to. And they said, I'm, we're not doing this. He is part of our family. There are so many people like him. Yeah. We need to start this change. And they were really bold. But that takes, that takes guts and it takes bravery and courage and, and it's exhausting like so I can only imagine in a international school setting where there is already a level of diversity but you're still then having to fight yeah for, for that yeah. level of welcome really yeah and you know that family they they did it right obviously and and we did mm. the same we we always took Braden everywhere with us um he is our mm. family and he is mm. a great member of society I'm not going to lie. It was really hard in mm. the States. It was hard in, in China. Mm. It was hard. You know, people would stare at us in China um, for various reasons, but mm. um, Braden's behaviors and things out in public, they would just stop and stare. And mm. I remember telling my daughter one time, I just want to wear a webcam and capture <laughs> Yeah, all of the the stares that we get, and this yeah. is in America, this is in in China, this is in Europe. When we would go visit there, especially Europe, Europe was really yeah. tough. A lot of judgmental, yeah. yeah, unspoken things, but you know damn well that you're being judged and looked at, and yes. yeah, attitudes towards yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I told you it was one of the reasons I wanted to invite you on was I'd been sitting in a local coffee shop and a woman came in with a a child who. I, I don't know, but I presume that this this child uh, had autism and watching her behavior and how how much she was lashing out to her parents in the car and all of this stuff that happened. And inside the, the shop where I was sitting, it was a momentary blast of energy as she came in and all this stuff happened and they went out again and they're in the, the car. And so many things were going through my head of firstly, that was like 30 seconds I can't imagine living with that on a day-to-day basis as a parent and trying to to be a parent to to a child that has has these kinds of needs, but also sensing the room after they'd left and thinking, um, I just wanted to go up and give her a hug and just think mm-hmm. how hard that must be because people don't understand and the way people react must be so hard. So it's so stressful. <laughs> yeah, I guess what I want to ask you is obviously there's staring and there's all these things, but what can we do? in that kind of situation or as an outsider, what can we do to make your life easier? How can we enable what you need to happen to to live your life like anyone else wants to? Yeah. Well, I think it will vary between families. Some families are very Mm. private. Um, For me, that hug that you wanted to give that, that would have meant the world to me. 
right? Mm. I remember clearly when my son was, he was about three and I was taking him to swimming lessons because he loved to mm. swim. So I thought this is a activity that we can really, well, the first day he's in the pool and he, he was doing something that was considered inappropriate. And I just, I watched him and I had no control over the situation. And that, mm. I mean, the sense of anxiety that we felt in going anywhere was already so high. And I felt like I was being judged. And I just sat there and I cried. And this one woman came up and gave me a hug and and said, you know, like, it's okay. You know, he's three, you know, that kind of thing. And we yeah. became fast friends. And it and I, I think it just took that one individual to say, you know, I'm here for you, made my life so much better, especially yeah. in those early stages. Yeah. But when you go into any situation, you're it's um I saw a meme and it was like of a secret service person. And it was like, this is a picture of a, a parent with special needs surveying the situation for potential issues, right? (laughs) And it's totally true because you walk in and you're like, okay, what might happen in this situation? Hyper alert. Yeah. Yep. And, and who's here and what might they be thinking? And, Mm. you know, because Raiden's behaviors are unpredictable and that's fine. That's who he is. Mm. It's taken many years for me to be like, this is who my son is. And I'm proud of yeah. him. And yeah, but he's 23 now. So, you know, it, mm. it takes time. But when he goes in and sometimes it, he won't like um, something that's on a table. And so he'll just take it and smash it to the ground. Well, that's destruction mm. of property. And then you have to explain to the um, shopkeeper or whoever that I'm sorry, I will pay you for this. And, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah. it's constant. Yeah. But that must be exhausting as well. That level of being alert do you do you have systems in place that for you and your husband particularly to just like downtime to to be able to re-regulate your nervous system because that that's like living at soldier marine level alertness Mm -hmm. all the time yeah it is and yes we happen to have a very good partnership in terms of raising our son so Mm -hmm. and it it kind of happened naturally whenever I'd be high anxiety and upset he happened to be very calm and so he'd be like, I'll take brain now, you know, and, <laughs> and, yeah. and it was, it was great. We, we have a funny story where brain used to love to run around the house and we wanted to provide him mm-hmm. with that opportunity, but you know, that can be unsafe. So I would sit outside in the front with a walkie talkie and my husband would sit in the back <laughs> with the walkie talkie <laughs> and, and I'd say, Eagle has left the front yard. <laughs> like 10 4, 10 4. Yeah. What, I don't even know what that means. But, <laughs> yeah. It was funny, you know? Yeah. And so we we made things humorous, which yeah. I think helped a lot as well. Yeah, just release some of the uh-huh. tension. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we, we were lucky. There's a lot of single parents out there with mm. raising children with significant needs. And my heart, everything in my body feels for them because. It is really something that can't be done on your own. No, you need no, a team. I, I really admire people that are doing it on their own. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know how anyone parents stop. I don't have children and I'm constantly in awe of parents. And yeah. then when you've got sort of needs that, that challenge you and other people as well, it, it's it's another whole level. And I was thinking 
when you're talking about going out to places that actually if we ignore neurotypical society and all the judgments and all the stuff that happens it's like all these standards of behavior they're all just they're all just social constructs and actually if we lived in a world where we allowed this diversity you then wouldn't have to be so alert either like obviously you you don't want him to go and damage people's property but there would be much more of space for people to accept who yes. he is as that difference that that spectrum of humanity of whatever that is if you probably can't people can't see me but I'm yeah I'm doing my, my hands <laughs> in and out like look <laughs> like an accordion that that mm-hmm. spectrum is constantly moving of what what it is to be human and we need to make space for that we do and you know it's taken me many years to get there because for so long I was trying to make Braden fit the mold fit into society. I think it took me opening the higher support needs program in Bangkok to understand that the more people are exposed to neurodiversity mm-hmm. and what comes with that at all you know mm-hmm. levels of the spectrum the the more they're going to just appreciate yeah. the brain and people and be a more mm-hmm. inclusive society. And so it yeah, it really took me till that long, which is a shame, but that's mm-hmm. just it was my journey. It is, isn't yeah. it? Hindsight. I think hindsight can be a very damaging thing because we yeah. we hold ourselves up to a standard that we weren't able ever to achieve mm-hmm. at the time. It it can be quite damaging and I think we just need to be kind to ourselves and allow ourselves to have existed in what we knew at that time and what what we had. Yeah. And now, so when people, when I go out and take brain to the store or whatever, it's kind of fun because the whole community seems to know him. Yeah. Um, I'll be in a store and people will be like, oh, hey, Brayden. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really awesome. I love yeah, that. Yeah. And also, if, you know, for people who don't know him, if he's self-stimming or if he's talking mm. loudly to himself or whatever, I just smile because it's like, yeah. here's here's my guy and I'm so proud of him. Yeah. And you you set the tone at which you expect to be treated. Yeah. The, the fact that people who know him can say, oh, hi, Braden, and smile and shows that people are perfectly capable of accepting this spectrum. I don't even want to say difference because no, then it implies it's different. And it's not. We're all part of wherever yeah. we sit in this this spectrum. And it just shows that it doesn't have to be the judgy way. It can be how it is, regardless of what someone's dealing with. Yeah. Just allowing people space. Yeah, it's funny because Brayden now lives in his own residential home with other mm-hmm. individuals, which is has been great for his independence. He's like 10 minutes away from us, so we get to yeah. hang out with him all the time. But at first, when he moved there, I was constantly, you know, it's this mom mm. apologizing for things he was doing, like he would take a glass of water and spill it on the table or whatever. And I'd be like, I'm so sorry. And they're like... Lori, this is no big deal. This is Brayden. Mm-hmm. We love Brayden. Yeah, and it, it really took me understanding that people really do feel this way, mm. which, you know, warmed my heart that it yeah. was like, okay, people really just get this. Yeah. And yeah. more people, more people need to get it. Yeah. Yeah. So. You're not always expecting the worst. Like there's, right. there's a space where he's properly allowed to be who he is. So you yeah. can then relax because you're not trying to counteract everybody's reactions. Yeah. Yeah. It has really um, helped us. You asked earlier what my husband and I did. We would take those breaks. Mm-hmm. Now we're able to focus on our own 
mental health and our physical health. And we're able to take hikes. We traveled for the first time together without yeah. children recently. That's a, a milestone for any parent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, um, yeah. So we're, we're technically empty nesters now, which is something mm. we never thought we would be. We really thought that mm. Brain would be living with us for the rest of our lives. And we really wanted that until he started showing. Now, Brain's nonverbal, but what yeah. he started showing us that he didn't want to live with us the rest of his yeah, life. That's fantastic. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't want you, mom and dad. Lesson learned. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Brayden. So, yeah, I love that though, how he, rem- he challenges your assumptions even, yeah. like even now after 23 yeah, years. Yeah, like, exactly. So, yeah. Around that though, I wanted to ask you, I think I've kind of talked about this a bit before, but one of the things I don't like that's out there is this, there's a, a kind of diversity where we allow, I'm doing inverted commas allow for people who can't <laughs> see people to exist, but it, it's all okay because we see all the positive things. It's a really good thing. Mm. Like autistic people, they, they're ordered, they're this, they're that, all these cliches are what we think, but actually for some people, that's not the case. So if Braden's nonverbal, there's very different things that he's dealing with and that you deal with. And I just wanted your comment really on that kind of toxic positivity where yeah. we we allow diversity, but it's still within our contained idea of what we think is okay, yeah. rather than actually truly allowing what diversity really is. Yeah, good question. And I've I've been known to share stories like this where the the autistic young man scores twenty three point shots in a basketball game, or they're nominated homecoming king mm. or queen, or they're fabulous artists, fabulous piano mm. players. Brayden has many skills. He can snow ski. He can ride a bike. He's got great balance. And um, the things he can do are are fantastic, but they don't fall into that, wow, isn't this person mm-hmm. just, you know, phenomenal for being able to do this? I think we call it like inspiration porn or or something like that, you know? You're, you have to be an inspiration if you're disabled. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's taken us a long time to also just be like, this is who he is. This is, you know, mm. this is our son and we adore him. I think your original question was. <laughs> Just talk about the, the how toxic positivity yeah. can be actually yeah. quite alienating. It is alienating. It's for everyone, for, for the individual as well, right? Because mm. um, mm. there's many neurodiverse individuals who are out there um, mm. watching this and saying, why am I not nominated as a homecoming king or mm. queen or mm. whatever? And it, it can be hurtful for them and for their families. Yeah. I'm reminded of it was the first series where I interviewed Haley. She is autistic and she was talking about how friends were kind of trying to make her feel better when she got diagnosed as an adult and saying, oh, well, it's just a bit of paper. Mm. And her reaction was like, how dare you? No. I've worked bloody hard to get this bit of paper. It, my life suddenly makes sense. It's this. And you just wipe out someone's whole experiences yeah. by just trying to be inclusive but actually you're homogenizing and just like you're not seeing them you've done the complete opposite Mm -hmm. I think that's probably my passion about inclusion and diversity is actually seeing the individual and what would you say what was what would be your one piece of advice to people about inclusion and diversity I know that's a very hard question I don't know I think I'll I'll stick more with my one piece of advice for autism is Dr. Stephen Shore who is an adult with autism and wrote the book, Understanding Autism for Dummies. Mm -hmm. He has that famous quote, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with (laughs) autism. 
And I think that's just so it's, it's everything Mm -hmm. because Brayden is autistic and he has an intellectual developmental delay that Mm -hmm. makes him very different from an individual who like Dr. Stephen Shore, who is a college professor on the autism spectrum. And so it's really important for all individuals to understand that there are differences, all differences need to be celebrated. And that's how we promote inclusion by celebrating those differences, but understanding that not everyone is the same. Yeah. And someone like me, we wouldn't dream of saying that all white redheaded women are the same. Like we we just, (laughs) and, and it's something I've talked about before with inclusion is that we, when we're the majority, we're seen to be represented as an individual. When we're more the marginalized, we represent the whole community. And there's yes. this wonderful generalization that comes in that really bugs me. <laughs> Just, yep. Yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> Just as a as a finishing thing, you mentioned his book. Are there any other resources for anyone who wants to learn more or understand this more that you would recommend? That's me putting you on the spot. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, I can put them in the show notes later if need be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I might need to get back to you on that. But yeah, there's tons of resources out there by individuals who are on the spectrum Mm -hmm. that I can get you. Fantastic. Well, and Temple Grandin, of course, is one that we all know. Um, But yeah, there's more. Fantastic. And how can people find you or learn more about you and Senya, what you do with, I had, I didn't even mention Senya that you're oh. the, the, the chief exec of, of, of Senya. Can you tell people just very briefly what Senya actually is? Yeah. So Senya is, the, is um, an organization that advocates for and supports individuals with, we're changing this, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but um, we had originally said with differing abilities. Um, um, but we, again, we wanted to talk about differences Mm -hmm. and uh it's long so um we're working on the that but um we do that through conferences through coursework that we offer we support in teachers wanting to better support their Mm -hmm. students and through very variety of ways scholarships and awards and um, local and regional chapters so we would love to have anyone interested join us um you can just go to um, senyainternational.org and find out more information. Fantastic. I'll put all the links in the, the show notes so people can, can find yeah. them. But That'd be great. They can find me at on Twitter, Lori Bull, yep. and LinkedIn. Yeah. Same. Fantastic. Brilliant. So. Fantastic. And then when we get um, our book published, yes. um, I'll send yes, that do. your way we as well. <laughs> spread that out to the world. That would be very, very interesting that I... I know quite a few people personally who who are autistic or who have autistic people in their family. So it's a subject that I'm much interested in. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Happy. yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate thank you. your time and just chatting so candidly about something that's such a big part of your life that you once never thought probably would have been many, many moons ago. And yeah. Um, I really, (laughs) and I I really appreciate you coming on and just talking with us and sharing your stories and helping to have this conversation because we just need to have it more is what I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. The more we have these conversations, the better society can be. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing 
uh, comments from people and will definitely share with you any feedback that gets sent my way, which so often does with these podcasts. So thanks again. (laughs) Cheers. Thank you. Thank you, Kath.